You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I want you to think with me this morning about the worst decision you ever made. And I really want you to think about it now. I'm not trying to depress you for Christmas, but I, I do want you to think about the worst decision you ever made. And maybe for some of you, it's 20 years since that time. Maybe for some of you, it's been 20 days. Hopefully, it's not been 20 minutes, because that means it was coming to church this morning. All right? But we have them, don't we? We, we can all look at our lives and say, you know, this decision that I made was terrible. And maybe today, in light of the decision, you still struggle and battle through some things because of it. I think of great decisions I've made. I, I'm celebrating this morning 27 years. Married to my sweetheart. It's a good thing. That was probably one of the, that was the best decision I made outside of my salvation. I'm thankful for that. But I know I've made some bad decisions. When I was 17 years old, growing up in Cleveland, um, came from somewhat of a poor family. And, and the U.S. government had a great deal back then. They would pay for your education if you just do one small thing. Give them your life. Okay? And if you would enlist for a certain amount of time, then you could get some money for education. And so I didn't have money. I was 17 years old. I, I knew I had to go to school sometime. And so I enlisted in the United States Army at the age of 17. I was so young, my mother had to give consent for me to go. And at the time, as a kid, it seemed like a really good idea, a really great idea. I mean, you know, it's just two years of my life. Who can't deal with two years? And, and it'll be okay. But I'll never forget after flying into Fort Knox, Kentucky and getting on a bus and pulling up in that military post at about, I don't know, maybe 1 in the morning, maybe at 12, in the, maybe 12 midnight, my first impression stepping off that bus was to be met by a 6'4 drill sergeant swearing in my face. And at that moment I thought, maybe this wasn't a good idea. And listen, I, I, had, I, had, I heard profanity. I, I wasn't sheltered as a kid. Grew up in a, in a rough place, a rough family. But I heard words for the first time I'd never heard before. Never. And I thought I was a tough kid at all scrapping 155 pounds. But I was terrified. I have to tell you something. For almost two weeks, I cried myself to sleep. Because I thought... I made the worst decision of my life. And there's no getting out of it. I'm stuck. You've been there? I, I think we all have. I think we've all made dumb decisions. And so this morning we come to a place in our text where, where, where here's David. And, and it's a great story. And we're going we're gonna to sort of fill that in this morning because uh, we left off on some great victory 
But you're going to find today that as we look at David's life, that he makes a terrible, terrible decision. I, I mean, it's, it's the worst decision he could have made. And I want to share with you this morning as we work our way through this passage, that even in light of this terrible decision that he made, God was bigger than all of it. And I pray this morning that we understand the same thing as we look to the Word of God today. Take your Bibles this morning, if you wouldn't look at 1 Samuel. You might as well turn to chapter 20. We're going to eventually get there and, and find our text in chapter 21. But if you remember from last week, if you were here, we left off with a great story, one of the great stories, David and Goliath. And, and what a fantastic story of victory. I mean, here is David, this teenager, facing a man at nine foot six, almost as tall as the speaker, ten inches higher than I am this morning. And we see David's, David's great faith and, and his trust in God, and God would deliver his people once again. And, and we, we know the story where he takes a stone and he, he, he slings a stone and at a hundred miles an hour, it hits Goliath, and the last thing that went through Goliath's mind was a stone. It was it. And, and he was dead. And, and it's a glorious victory. I mean, it's, 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 we, we think about the story, and, and, and I hope that you recall from last week that it's not about, oh, the courage of David and how great David is. Certainly we saw his faith. But more than that was the greatness of our God. That here is a God whose name should be honored and praised and uplifted and defended. And this name, this God, is worth us risking our lives for Him. And the great truth that this God will deliver His people. He always does. And He always will. And this was the promise from Genesis chapter 3. That Adam and Eve, you blew it. You sinned. You ruined it. You caused a curse. You threw this world into chaos. And yet... By my grace, I will send you a hero. And he will save my people from their sin. So we come to the story of David, and, and uh, if we could put this episode in a, in a capsule, we could, we could just sort of sum it up. This is David's mountaintop experience. I, I mean, he is at the pinnacle. I mean, could you imagine... This is a teenage boy, and he slays the giant, and Israel has this great victory. And, and David really, in a, in, a, in a way now, becomes what we call the golden boy. I mean, everything he touches after this, it's unbelievable. We get to chapter 18, and, and in verse number 1 of chapter 18, I'll just go through this, there's a lot here, but he, he, he meets with Jonathan, and Jonathan, what a great study in itself it would be to study Jonathan's life. What a godly man. Jonathan meets David. The Bible says that Jonathan loved David. He loved him. So much so that Jonathan takes off his, his kingly robe as a sign to say to David, I am humbled by you and I acknowledge that God is going to use you to be the next king. It's amazing. But we find that Jonathan loves David. David then is, is um, appointed as... Somewhat of a general, a military man. 
And he goes out before all of Israel. And the Bible says in chapter 18, verse 5, that he goes out before Israel and he behaves himself wisely. I mean, whatever David does, he does it the right way. And God uses him for great victories. And so, as this is all happening, David is increasing in favor. He, he's the golden boy. Everything's great. He comes back from a battle, and, and the women there come up with this little country song. It's a cute little song, just to, to honor and recognize the victory. And they say something like this, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. It's, it's very appropriate for David. But there's something about that song that Saul, it doesn't sit well as the king. And he makes this statement hearing the song that, I, I mean, they've given him 10,000. What's left but for David to have the kingdom? And, and this is the first kind of note that this is not going to go well for David. But you read the rest of the chapter, and chapter 18 talks about uh, the fact that after Saul, I, David, that all Israel and Judah loved David. We get to verse number 20, and Michael, David's, David's wife-to-be, it's Saul's daughter, she loves David. And if we were to write a, a movie or a television show right now, it would be called Everybody Loves David. Okay, Because that was the case. Everybody loved him. And he rises to fame. And yet at the end of chapter 18, verse 29, here's what Saul says. The Bible says Saul was more afraid of David because, and he became David's enemy continually. Continually. And this now is the turning point. This meteoric rise has now failed. And now in a moment, the golden boy goes from hero to zero. And in chapter 19, it starts off, and Saul says to all of his servants, kill him. I'm the king. Kill him. And in this process, and, and listen, for the rest of this book, the last third of 1 Samuel, David is running for his life. And here's what he loses. He loses his position. He was a great general. He loses his job now. It's gone. It's gone. He loses his friendship with Jonathan. Jonathan loved him. They loved each other. They continued as much as they could, but he was on the run. He loses friendship. He loses his wife. It gets so bad that Saul sends messengers to his house and they say, kill him. And his wife lets him escape out of their hands. And then we find that he loses his counselor with Samuel. He runs to Samuel and and he meets him there, but he realizes that Saul even will find and search him out there, and he loses it all. You need to remember something. We read the Bible, and sometimes we forget that these are real people. Can't you relate to David? He lost his job. You understand that, many of you. You live in Chatham-Kent, right? He lost his wife. A relationship, a friendship is gone. A trusted counselor, someone he loved and, and looked for. We understand that. And David understood it. And it got so bad that in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, here's what David says. He says to Jonathan, listen to me. There is one step between me and death. And, and this wasn't hyperbole. He, he was serious. 
This golden boy now finds himself on the run. He says, listen, Jonathan, it's so bad that as the Lord lives, there is one step between me and death. I am just staying ahead of the curve. I've got to get out of here. He understands that there's nowhere that Saul's reach cannot get him. And so we come to chapter 21 this morning. And from verses 1 to 9, David decides to leave the kingdom. But before he goes, he knows he needs supplies, he needs some food, he's on the run. So he goes to the priest, he says, listen, we need, to, we need some food for these guys. And so they give him some of the showbread. And then David says, hey, by the way, do you happen to have any weapons here? Because I sort of was in a hurry, I took off without, you know, my sword. Do you have anything here that I could use? And the priest says, yeah, I'm holding Goliath's sword for you here. The sword that you took off Goliath's, Goliath's head with, I have it, it's yours. And so David gets it. And now I want you to see chapter 21, verse number 10. I want you to see how, how utterly desperate David is. Okay? 21, verse number 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Um, maybe you don't get how desperate he is, but he feared Saul so much that he believed the only place he could go to find relief was to go to the enemies of God, to go to the Philistines, because he thought, that's the last place on earth that David would search for me. And so he takes off and he goes to the Philistines. Uh, it's interesting to me, and it's somewhat strange as I was thinking about David and, and this decision. Here is a kid, a young man, who, I mean, he is, he's, the, he's a golden boy. This is the kid who, who faced down a giant when a thousand other warriors were shaking in their armor. He faces a giant. He understands God. He sees as God sees. He, he, he experiences. He had this mountaintop experience. And then the next thing we see, he is so afraid of Saul that he's willing to run for his life to the land of the Philistines. It doesn't make much sense. It's like, come on, David. But how often in our lives do we have this moment where God answers our prayer? And he shows himself strong on our behalf. And, and we almost can't contain ourselves because it's like, it's so real and he's here. And the very same day sometimes, one thing happens in our life and we think, God, where are you? Do you exist? Are you there? Are you listening? Which is common for humanity and we see it in David. But I want you to see this morning, he makes a terrible decision. It's terrible. Now, now, some of you folks who have children, you will relate to this because there are times as we raise our kids, and for all of my sons, there was a time when my wife and I said, either out loud or to them or both, what were you thinking? I cannot believe you just did what you did. That decision is so stupid. I mean, how can two reasonably intelligent people have a child to make this decision? You ever been there, parents? Yeah. This is one of those decisions that you look at and you say, wait a minute, David, this is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Not only did he go to the Philistines, which is problematic, 
Okay, because there was no other Israelite who killed more of them than David. You see how this really doesn't make much sense that I'm going to run to these guys. By the way, Saul killed his thousands, but I've killed 10,000 of you people. Not only does he run to the Philistines, which doesn't make any sense, but then he ends up in a city called Gath. It's one of the five kingly cities of the Philistines. Do you know where Goliath was from? He was from Gath. Not only was he from Gath, if you read the Bible, you find out Goliath had four brothers. And they're all big boys. Someone asked me last week, they said, did you notice in the text that David took five smooth stones? I said, yeah, I noticed in the text. He said, do you know why? And I said, I think I do. Because Goliath had four brothers. And David was ready for all of them. One after the other, I'm ready to plow them down. And here's what he does now. He makes his decision to go to the land of Philistines. He goes to the city of Goliath, who has four brothers, of Goliath who he just took his head off. And to make matters worse, he walks into the city carrying Goliath's sword on his hip. Good idea? No. Can you see how ridiculous this is? How stupid this is? It doesn't make any sense. But this is what David does. Look at verse number 11 this morning. And the servants of Achish said unto him, um, and these guys, they were like in tune with Hebrew culture. They liked Hebrew uh, country music too. They listened to it when they were you know, out and about. And they say, hey, king, there's this song that the Hebrews used to sing, you know, this country music song they sang. And it went something like this. Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. And this is the guy they're singing about. This is problematic. The servants of Achish realize who he is. And now David knows that he's in trouble. Uh, one of the great things about the life of David as you go through is that in times of his life, we'll see this in a little bit as well, but he writes psalms to express what he's feeling. And, and if you don't think this is a big deal for David, this is Psalm 56. is a psalm that is written. This is how it starts out. If you look at your Bible, sometimes they have these headings, right, in, in your Bible that tells you what the psalm, who wrote the psalm, what it was about. In the beginning of the psalm it says, this is a psalm, Psalm 56, that David writes, when the Philistines took him in Gath. And the idea is, when they find out who he is, they, in, they grab a hold of him. He is taken. And, and listen, just so that you know this is serious for David, verse number 1 of 56, it says this, God be merciful unto me, because men want to swallow me up. He goes through verse 2, explain himself. Verse number 3, what time I am afraid, David is terrified. And by verse 8, he says, listen God, you know my heart, my tears are in a bottle. David knows now, he has made a decision that is terrible, and he is in real trouble. Real trouble. Back to our text now in 1 Samuel 21. After they say, they sung his praises. Verse number 12, And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Verse 13, 
and he changed his behavior before him. And, and this, is, this, is David's, this is David's go-to card. He's in real trouble now. And so here's what he does. He pretends like he's crazy. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? He knows he's in trouble. He, the, the, the handwriting's on the wall. They realize who he is. They're not impressed with it. They grab him, and it says he changed his behavior, and he feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the walls. What he does then is he starts writing graffiti all over the place. Nonsense. Maybe finding a picture of a, a, a Philistine woman and drawing a mustache on her face or black eye. I mean, what is this guy doing? And then what he does is he spits on him. He drools and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. And listen, you know, you know this. I think that in Bible days and, and even today, the beard is a sign of manlyhood. I'm halfway there. I'm trying to get there. Some of you guys are doing a great job, right? Some of you ladies. And it's... it's and it, <laughs> Um, right? I know I'm going to pay for that. I, it's, it's my anniversary. I can say pretty much what I want today. Um, but it was, a, it was a sign of, of, of your manhood. And to spit on anybody or anything was degrading. And so here's David. He's drooling on himself and he pretends to be a madman because he knows he's in trouble. He knows it's not going well. He knows he's made a terrible, terrible decision. He pretends to be deranged. And so, the Bible says then, then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, see you, the man is mad. The guy is crazy. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen? And what he's saying is, I got enough crazy people here already. Just like a church, I got enough crazies. We're not accepting anymore, all right? The guy's crazy. And the idea of being insane in ancient Near East, there were times that they thought it was a, a divine affliction, that the gods were cursing you, and so it was taboo to touch someone who was crazy. So this goes pretty well for David. And Achish says, get him out of my sight, verse 15. I don't have any need of him. Why did you bring up this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And chapter 22 tells us that David then departed. He departed. You say, okay, Pastor Rick, what's the point? I mean, great story, interesting enough. What's the point? David makes a terrible decision, and because of his acting skills, his quick wits, he bails himself out, end of story. No, that's not the point at all. Um, the point is, he was in trouble. But I want you to see now, David gives us some insight on what's going on in his heart and mind during this time. And I want to look at this morning Psalm 34. If you can find your way there, if you don't have a Bible, it would be on the, the wall in front of you. But Psalm 34. And I want to just read the entire psalm. And again, there's a heading for this psalm, and here's what it says. This is a psalm that David wrote when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. So, so if you're wondering this morning what David thought about this episode in light of this bad decision... And what he thought about his acting skills and what he thought about, what he thought about his great um, wit and how he just got himself out of jam, you're going to find out what David really thought about this situation. That's insightful for all of us this morning. Here's what he says in, in Psalm 34. And this is a great psalm. This, this is a psalm that brings encouragement to so many people. 
He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. What David starts off by saying is this. Hey, it wasn't me. I made a dumb decision. I put myself in a bad place. It was terrible. I went to the enemies of God. I thought it would be okay. It was stupid. But I want you to know something. It wasn't how I got myself out. It wasn't my acting. It wasn't my graffiti. It wasn't my drooling. I realized that God saved my life. God delivered me. And because God delivered me, I will bless the Lord at all times. And then he does something interesting. In the, in the next several verses, he sees what God has done, even in the midst of his tragedy and his stupid mistake, as an opportunity for God to be glorified and for all of us to be instructed. And there are three statements he makes to invite us in to what's happening here. He begins in verse number three, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. God, I was stupid. I was sinful. I was wicked. I did the wrong thing and yet in your mercy you delivered me. And so he says to all of us, when we have been there and he has delivered, then come with me, gather together and let's magnify the Lord. Let's make him look big. Let's exalt him. Let's give all the credit and glory to where it belongs. It belongs at the feet of our Lord and Savior. Place him high in our lives. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked upon him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped and campeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. He says, magnify the Lord. He has delivered me. He's faithful. God will deliver his people. And then he says, secondly, he says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. This idea of tasting, experiencing God, knowing he is good. And David said, I blew it, but i got to tell you something. I remember my experience with God. It was good. It was pleasant. It was wonderful. Did you know something? When we truly know God for who he is, and we experience him and his goodness and grace, all the things of this world pale in comparison. They have no attraction anymore. And he says, come and taste and see. The Lord is good. In our most difficult experiences we get a chance to experience him. And then he says this in verse number 9. Oh, fear the Lord, let his saints, ye his saints, for there is no want in them that fear him. And this idea again of being in awe of our God, that even in our foolishness, even in our wickedness, even when we turn from him, he's bigger than that. Fear Him. Be in awe of Him. And not only fear Him by being in awe, fear Him by dreading to disobey Him and disappoint Him. He is God. And David's perspective is right here. The young lions, verse 10, do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And, and again, here's the instruction. He says, Come ye children, listen to me, hearken me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
And then he gives us some instruction. After, after this episode in his life, he says, What man is there that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are opened unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You need to get this. Can I tell you something? Being a Christian means that there are going to be afflictions. There are going to be struggles. Many are the afflictions. Spurgeon said this about this scripture. He said, David had come off with kicks and cuffs, but no broken bones. No substantial injury occurs to the saints. Their real self is safe. They may have flesh wounds, but no part of the essential fabric of their being is broken. And that's what David is saying. The Lord delivers them out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Shall be desolate. Uh, I want you to see something this morning. That, That here is David, and David made a mess. And the point of this passage in this story, I believe, is simply this. That in the middle of this mess that David made, wrong decision, wrong place, wrong time, wrong people, the list goes on and on and on. You couldn't do anything dumber than what he did. And yet, what he says in Psalm 34 is this, yeah, that was wrong, it was stupid, yet the Lord delivered me, and because of this, he's bigger than my mess. He's bigger than my mistakes. He's a sovereign king and he can even use my foolishness for a message and not a mess. Even in terrible decisions, David sees the bigness of his God and that this God will ultimately use this episode for David's good and God's glory. Some of you here this morning and here's what you think. You think that you made a terrible decision And you probably did. We all make them. Can I tell you something? There's not anybody in this church you've not made a bad decision. And for some of us, those decisions, we still still feel some of the consequences of those things. And because of that, sometimes we think, well, I made this bad decision, and because I made this bad decision now, God will never forgive me. God will never treat me the same way. I mean, I blew it big time. There is no way that God could ever use me again. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm going to be shelved. That was so stupid. And we sit and we beat ourselves up and we feel guilt and we go over and we ascribe to God like He's just waiting for us to blow it and we're done. He can't do anything now because we foiled everything. All of those statements and all those ideas, no matter what your decision was, they're false. This is not our God. 
Our God is great. Our God is big. And he is greater than the messes we make in our lives. I want you to see something. We'll look at this together. Look at Isaiah chapter 61 this morning. And I want you to hear the words of hope and encouragement coupled with Psalm 34 this morning. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. And look at now verse number 3. And this is, this is amazing to me. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them, listen now, beauty for ashes. Hey, there are times in our life we make a mess and it's nothing but ashes. It's wasted. And here's what God promises. I will redeem everything. Everything. I will bring beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why? Because God just has to save you because you don't know what to do with it? No. That the Lord might be glorified. This morning, I want you to know something. Our God doesn't waste anything. Anything. Nothing is wasted in the hands of our God. And so this morning, as we come together, and we sit and we think about the stupid things we have done, it's okay. When I seek Him, when I repent, when I see His work in my life, I understand that even in my foolishness and weakness and nonsense, this God wastes nothing. I don't know what your story is. We all have a different story. But at 17, I thought I made the worst mistake of my life. I mean, and I wasn't the only one crying myself to sleep. I go to bed in this room about 10 guys, and here's what you hear all night. And these were men, right? 17, 18, 20, you know, big milk. And I thought, Lord, I made this two years of my life. Can I tell you something looking back at that now? I don't know that I would do that again. I probably wouldn't do it again. But can I tell you something? God used that entire experience in my life to make me the man that I am today. And there are things I would have never learned had I not made that decision at 17 years old. I'm telling you something. I don't care what your story is. There's a God in heaven who brings beauty from ashes. And he redeems everything, even me. What a God. What a God. Even Baptists can say, what a God. Praise the Lord. He's good. What a great story for us. David, you're stupid. Rick, you're stupid. 
and yet I'm bigger than that. One more thing before we close this morning. Um, it's interesting, we, we've been dabbling now in some of the Psalms, and, and, and the Psalms are really interesting because the New Testament writers, they use the Psalms to explain to us the Messiah, what he will look like, what he will experience, and, and they often go back to the Psalms to say things like, hey listen, it's written in Scripture, remember what the psalmist said about this situation, that, that's Messiah, he is coming, and they use that quite often to tell us the story. Back in Psalm 34, we read that entire text. Verse 19 said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And look at verse 20 now. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. And that may not mean anything to us. We say, okay, yeah, that relates to David, and he was beat up, but he wasn't broken, and that's how God does it. But now watch what happens in John chapter 19, in verse 36. And if you want the context of this passage, it's the crucifixion. It's about Jesus Christ. And here's what John says about the scripture that we read from Psalm 34. And by the way, do you understand this? If David had not made that dumb decision and gone through what he went through, we would not have Psalm 34. Do you see how God redeemed? I mean, we have something, and we have this statement, and John says, listen, for these things were done. He was dead on the cross. They pierced his side. Don't break his legs. Don't break his bones. He's gone. The Spirit has given up already. He's accomplished redemption. It is finished. A bone of him shall not be broken. Listen to me. If you don't get it yet, get it today. This is not... Well, you got the Old Testament, you got the New Testament, you got this stuff. No, listen, it is one story. It's the story of redemption from start to finish. And we see it all over. You can't ignore it. David goes through this experience and God delivers him. And David pens these words, yeah, not one of my bones are broken. And the writer says, listen, that's Messiah coming. I'm going to prove he is who he said he was. And on the cross, not one bone will be broken. But the wrath of God was poured on his head. And that wrath was poured on his head, not for his sin, but for your sin and for my sin. And the justice that we deserved, mercy met justice at Calvary, and God gave his Son, Jesus Christ, for the payment. And today, you know, we'll talk in a couple weeks about Christmas and, and the manger but listen, it started way before a manger. It started before the foundations of the world. As a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that God knew a plan. He made a plan. He made a way. And all those who repent and believe can know this Savior. He just didn't come to a manger. He came to bring redemption and reconcile man back to God. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.